Well, good morning, Meadowland Church. For those that don't know me, I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are in the midst of our series on Habakkuk. Habakkuk is, is one of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, if you want to find them in your Bible, it's pretty much open, pretty much uh, just, past, you know, almost the New Testament, so you're almost towards the back of the Bible. Um, in the midst, if you can find Nahum or Zephaniah, he's right between those two. So there's some, some uh, guide, guiding marks there. If you have one of the Bibles in front of you, these black ones, it's on page 785. Uh, if you want to turn to there, we're kind of launching off of uh, Habakkuk 2.4 this morning. But really, really the, the heart of this message, uh, the heart of the series, is asking the question of who sits on the throne of your life. Who sits on that seat of power of your life? And we saw this video about the stool representing that, that throne of power, that, 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 that seat uh, that makes the decisions in your lives. And one of the things I love about the video is, is there was kind of this constant back and forth of really who was on the throne. And I think, you know, for those of you who have said, you know, God, I want you to be on that throne, we can relate to that. You know, there's that temptation sometimes to want to take it back or, um, okay, I'll, I'll make my decision in these areas of life. Okay, no, that, that, those areas, you, you can decide, God. I'll let you have that seat. And so that's what we're talking about here this morning. is about placing our trust, placing our faith in Jesus and what that looks like. So that's actually uh, one part of a two-part message. Uh, next week, we're going to continue on this whole concept, concept of faith. Uh, but we're going to look like, what is it, we're going to talk about what does it look like when you place your faith in man as opposed to God. It's also, we're going to see that uh, as God begins to talk about the judgment that is coming on the Babylonians. We're going to get to that. If you don't understand that, if you missed last week, I'm going to clarify that in a minute. It's really the question we have to ask of ourselves is who is on the throne of our lives? And we can boil it down, uh, you know, no matter what you would say, maybe this or that, we can boil it down to one of two things. Is it God or is it man? You know, if, if it's man who's sitting on your throne, maybe it's just yourself, a pursuit of yourself. You know, you want what you want. Uh, there's a selfishness. You, you're not, you know, thinking about others in your decisions. It's, you know, you want, you're going to make your decisions for what you want. Maybe there's some, uh, someone else who's making those decisions for you in your life. Uh, maybe it's a pursuit of money or success. And so maybe you've, you've given this seat over to your boss. Um, or maybe you become a self-made man or a self-made woman, and, and so that's what it is. Uh, maybe it's a, a pursuing fame. Maybe there's a, a false god or a, a spirituality where you kind of look at all these different religions and you kind of pick and choose what quote-unquote feels right to you. And, and again, you're putting yourself on that seat to say, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm making these decisions. Or do we put God on that throne? Do we say, Jesus, you have this right in my life? You know, as, as you're thinking about maybe what this looks like in your, your own life, uh, I think one way, one um, signifier of who's on the throne of our life, we can look at uh, two things. One, we can look at our schedule, our calendar. Where's our time going? And then you can look at your, your, your treasures. Where, where's your, your talent and your finances? Where are they going? It's not something as simple as, you know, wh- wh- you know which gets the most, because you could look at, okay, well, out of my bills, my mortgage is the most, so I must value that one the most. Well, no, it's just the largest bill. Um, but, but look at how do you treat your finances? How do you treat your time? How do you treat your talents? Is it you first and then uh, something else second? Or is it God first, what he would ask of you as far as living that up? That's, that's one thing you can look at to really ask that question. And I don't think it's just a plain, simple, it's either God or man. But there are, there's a constant every day we have to make that decision because there's a temptation to take that back for ourselves, right? 
right? As different things come up in life, the temptation to say, okay, I trusted you, God, with all these things, but this one, you know, I'm going to take that, that control back, and I'm going to have a seat on that throne. So this is the, the, the topic of discussion here in the book of Habakkuk, is faith in God. And so I'll give you a real quick recap of what we went through last week. I'm going to uh, like a little five-minute uh, zip through this. And it was important, I, I felt, to set the, the background that led us up to the point in history that we see Habakkuk is, is uh, sharing this interaction with God. Because we, we need to know what, what's he thinking about, what is he experiencing. And so I walked through how we went all the way back to God's promise to Abraham, how he said, I'll make a nation out of you, I'll bring you to a land, and um, all the nations will be blessed through your people. And these promises have been given to them, and how that grew from a promise to one man all the way till that you have a whole nation uh, in a place of prosperity, and they have their land, and they have a temple built to their God, and, and this, this peak of their um, history with Solomon. King Solomon. We talked about how the very next generation, Solomon's sons, uh, the the, the nation divided. You had ten tribes to the north. You had Israel. You had two tribes to the south, uh, Judah. And um, just not really going to hit on this too much in the message, but I just want to keep hitting it home. I want to clarify. And I know repetition is one of those ways where you learn something. So I want to go through the air map real quick. Uh, If you remember it, you know, feel free to shout out some of these things. But if you remember, you got the shoreline, right? For what? The Mediterranean Sea. So you have the shoreline to the Mediterranean Sea. And then you have the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea or the Red Sea. Depending on which name you go by. So you have the shoreline, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. In the space between the seas, you have Israel to the north, the ten tribes, and Judah to the south, the two tribes. Okay? And then down here to the east, we have well, who? They're still there today? Egypt. So we have Egypt down here. And they can kind of come up. Then we got Judah, Israel. And just to clarify, because I just kind of said to the left, kind of more like what's modern day Iran. So more northwest, you have who? Who's one of the other major powers? Do you remember? Assyria. We got Assyria. And they have a third major power. So you have Egypt, Assyria, and then Babylon. But Babylon is just starting to make a name for itself. So basically, um, Israel's gone. The Syrians took out Israel. And now Egypt is going to pass through Judah to go help Assyria fight the Babylonians. And basically in that process, uh, we had King Josiah, who was a king who was leading the people of God back to a place of worshiping God, of saying, God, I believe in you and I place my faith in you. You remember that? And then uh, what happened? Josiah went into battle, led his men uh, uh, courageously in battle and was killed. And, And that really led the downfall. But you know, there's a glimmer of hope, and then things crushed back down because his sons didn't follow in his footsteps, but the footsteps of his father, King Amon, who did not follow God, who's a bad king who, who led the people away from God, led them towards false idols and false gods. And so basically, uh, what's left of Judah is at this place of there's some who still follow God, but the, the nation is just tearing itself apart. And there's so many that are following false gods. And this is the, the point in history. Habakkuk cries out to God and says, God, violence. Do you not see all this violence going on? Where are you? He's perceiving inaction. He's perceiving that God's not doing anything. But he knows God to be good and God to be just and God to be loving and God to be the God of this people. And so those aren't lining up. And so he cries out to God. And God says, I am seeing this. I do have a plan. 
And that plan is Babylon. They're going to come in and they're going to take out Judah. And so back at the end of chapter 1 says, okay, I got another question. My first question is, are you going to do anything? You answered it by saying, yes, and I'm sending in the Babylonians. So I have a new question. Do you need to send in the Babylonians? Uh, there are people more wicked than what I'm, I'm talking about here going on in Judah. So, and the, you know, if, if, if they grow, who's going to keep them in check? Because they were, they were on the uprising and Assyria was going down, Egypt was going down. And so they're going to become, you know, the, the big kid on the block. And who's going to keep this wicked people in check? And so in chapter 2, you basically get God's response. We're not going to get through much of chapter 2 today. That's going to be next week. Uh, but next week, God, we're going to look at what God says uh, about how he's going to basically, uh, Babylon uh, is going to receive judgment as well. And kind of what, what their end is going to be. And so that's going to be next week when, when you're people who, who place your faith in yourself, in man, there's some, some things that, that are, are sure to follow. So we'll talk about that next week. This week we're going to look at the very beginning of chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, so if you're to open them up, Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. If you have a, a digital Bible, you want to turn it on, that is awesome. Any way you can get the Word of God in your hands. If you want to bring your own Bible from home, if you want to use the ones we have, feel free to take one of these and, and bring it home. If you need one or, or to give it away to someone else who needs one, uh, please do not be shy about that. All right, back to chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. If you remember last thing we, we ended with last week is, is Habakkuk is actively waiting on the, on the Lord. He trusts that God is going to respond to him. And he also trusts God's going to correct him because he, he's missing something. I, I don't see what you're doing, God. I don't understand it. I know you're still God, but help me on this. And so we get a response from God. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its, its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. We're gonna pause there real quick. Uh, just a little side note here. I love, this is the Lord answered Habakkuk. You see one of the characteristics of our God, that he's a, a personal, relational God that, that in the midst of this uh, um, destruction of the nation going on where the 10 tribes have already been wiped out and the two are, are not following God. He still dresses personally to Habakkuk and says, you know, hey, this is my response to you. We see that in Jesus where, where God sends Jesus so that we can be in relationship with him. And, and he's a personal, relational God. And if we actually put the story in order like we have been, basically Habakkuk's like, okay, are you sure you want to do the Babylonians? And what's God say? Yes, that's the plan. Put it in writing. I mean, this is the deal. This is just going to be, uh, well, God said, no, it's going in writing. Get some tablets. You, know, you, you, you chisel that thing. And then do it in a way where those that would run by can read it. And it's actually, uh, this is a, the second half of verse 2. There's some um, disagreement on, on exactly what it's saying as far as, is it saying, put this up like a billboard so large and clear that anyone who's running by is able to read it? Or is he saying, Make it so clear that people are going to read this and they're going to want to go run and tell others about it. But either way, however you interpret that, the heart behind this is, is getting the word out to everyone else because even though there's a hard piece of this that the Babylonians are coming, there's hope. There's hope that God sees what's going on. And God is a good judge and a just judge. And God made promises to Abraham. And God is a God who will keep his promises and so while we don't understand it, we don't see how it's going to play out at this point, there's hope when we get a response from God saying, I have a plan. And here's what it is. Those who, who've been 
around Meadowland, this, this might sound kind of familiar to you, this, this heart of uh, go and, and tell others. You see that in Matthew 28, the New Testament, where, where Jesus basically is standing before his disciples before he ascends into heaven, and, and he's saying, go out into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what I've taught you. Go out into the world. Share this good news, this message of hope that God has a plan to save us from the sin of this world. Both in Habakkuk's day and in ours, and in the time of Jesus, when he walked the earth, there's a heart of wanting to see people putting their faith in God. Let's jump on to to verse 4 here. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We're going to stop there, and and, and that's where we're going to sit here for the rest of the morning. This little chapter in this obscure book, this little verse, Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Basically, God's talking about two different kinds of people here. People who trust in God and people who trust in themselves or trust in man. Let's talk about that, the latter one first. The one who is puffed up. It's this, this sense of arrogance, uh, being full of self. It is not upright. And if we go back to the Hebrew from that term upright, it, it literally is referring to not following the ways of God. In essence, it's saying, those, you know, it is saying people who don't follow God. Those who don't follow God. So those who are puffed up are not following God. They're relying on themselves. We see this. This is the Babylonians. This is describing the Babylonians who are coming uh, to wipe out Judah. Verse 11 of chapter 1 talks about how their strength was their God. They rely on themselves. It wasn't a, oh, the God of the Jews is, is, rise, is raising us up to go and do this and be a, a mighty nation. No. It was, hey, look how awesome we are. We scoff and laugh at kings because what are they going to do? If, you know, if they talk back, we'll just go in and we'll take them over too. The Babylonians are these kind of people. If we fast forward to the time when, when Jesus walked this earth, um, the Pharisees were this kind of people. They placed their faith in themselves. They were puffed up. They were full of themselves. Jesus, Jesus went as far as to call them whitewashed tombs. I mean, you look clean on the outside, but they were dead and decaying on the inside. Because they, they were following the law of God, but not the heart of God. It'd be like saying, the speed limit's 45, and so I don't even want to get close to that. So if you go over 35, you're, you're in the wrong. And they, they, they set up all these other rules. In essence, you know, a phrase can, if you've ever heard, putting a hedge around the Torah. The Torah was the law, the word of God. They put a hedge around it, basically take a step back from it and say, we, we, we don't even want to get close to those things. So it says, honor the Sabbath, you know, to have a day of rest. You know what? We're not going to lift a finger. Your, your cow's in the field lame? Oh, no, it's on the Sabbath. Jesus, you guys pick some grain to eat on the Sabbath. Whoa, you're in sin. And they missed the heart of God. They were puffed up and full themselves. They relied on their own ability to live out the law. But see, on our own, righteousness, being right in the eyes of God, being perfect is impossible apart from God. On our own, it's impossible for man. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we've all messed up in some way. We've all fallen short of the plan God would have for us, of the way he would want us to live in some way, whether large or small. I can even see my own story as I think of, uh, you know, when I was in high school, 
I can relate to some of this uh, trusting in myself. In high school, I was you know, a moral kid, um, wasn't getting into too much trouble. But I was relying on myself. I, I was trusting in myself. And, and when something came up, I used to always say that I, I had an ability to kind of weasel my way out of anything. And, and so if I, if I didn't do a paper, um, you know, I found a way to get that, that extension delayed you know, without losing points or um, if uh, I got in trouble with my parents for doing something, I found a way to skirt around the consequences and, and still get to go do what I want to do. Uh, my mom's uh, method was the guilt trip. Though. If I make you feel bad, you won't go do what I don't want you to do. And I got to the point, I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to do it. I don't care. You said yes. And uh, you know, so I found ways to weasel through. And um, so I, went, hey, I was relying on myself for life. So we have the one who is puffed up, who is arrogant, it is not upright within him. He's not following the ways of God. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the other one. The one who lives by faith in God. This is good news. That the righteous live by faith. It's not saying the righteous live by being good enough. It doesn't say the righteous live by how clean your nose is. It doesn't say the righteous uh, live by you know, doing just enough to pass. Does the righteous live by faith? That's great news. Because we just heard Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up in some way. It's, a, it's about living by faith in God. And that's not even from ourselves. We're going to see, when we look at Ephesians 2, that faith is, is a gift from God. It's something that's given to us so that we can't boast. We can't say, hey, look how great I am. God's given us this gift of faith that takes care of our sin. We've done nothing to earn it. There's all kinds of grace, unmerited favor. God simply loves us and says, here, take and receive. It's not only is there salvation, our, 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 it's, a, it's a big word for our, our sins are, are forgiven. Our sins are how we've missed the mark of what God would have for us. Not only are they forgiven by faith, but we live by faith. Saying, I, I am a saint, I am free from my sin because I have faith in God. We can live our lives that way. In Hebrews chapter 11, this has become known as, as the, uh, the hall of faith. Kind of like the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. You, you see stories of all these different characters, biblical characters, and, and the things they did. It's by faith they did these things. Basically, they, they believed what God said, and they went and they did things. Galatians 3 talks about how Abraham's faith was attributed to him as righteousness. He was made right because of his faith. So we've been given faith by God to trust in Jesus and we are made right. You know, I, I, can, I can relate to this side as well. But living by faith, there's a time where, you know, when something came up and there's something, you know, an area in my life that I feel like God was convicting me saying, hey Steve, here's something we got to change. I, I kind of pull one of these. All right, God, yeah, take this back. I'm going to take care of that. I'll get it all cleaned up and I'll come back and we'll be all good. I, I'd come to a point, I'd come back and I'd say, God, I messed it up worse. It, I'm in a bigger mess now than I started. So I'm going to go over here. I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to clean up and get, you know, get good to go. And I finally came to a point where I was just desperate. I'm like, God, I, I can't do it. And he's like, yeah, I know. You don't need to. I took care of that. And so I can see this, this, this value of placing our faith in God. So we have to ask, which person are we? Are we someone who trusts in man? Or are we someone who trusts in God? Or do we kind of dance between the two? So what's interesting is everyone who lives 
Everyone who is alive lives by faith of some kind. We all live by faith of some kind. Before anything to, to explain that, let me define first faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Being sure of what you hope for and convicted of what you can't see. That's faith. So I, I want to challenge you. I, I would say that every person here has already, in the, at minimum, lived out two different kinds of faith this morning. For those that drove here, when you, when you got in this morning... You got in your car, you started it up, you backed down the driveway, you, you drove to church, you probably stopped at Dunkin' Donuts or somewhere, got a coffee or Starbucks, and you know, came home, pulled in the driveway, um, got out and came, and came to church. You hoped that your brakes would work every step of that process. So much so that, that you, were, you were sure of it. You were sure your brakes were going to work. You didn't even think about it. You got in the car and you came here. And then you came in here, you found a spot that you wanted to sit down, you sat down. You didn't, you didn't stop and think about, you think that'll hold? No. You were sure that the chair you're sitting in would hold you. And being sure of that, you sat down. You had conviction of things that you, you didn't see. Anybody here crawl under their car this morning and check their brake line? Anybody? Kurt, looking for you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, they may, you know, like, you know, pump the brakes a few extra times, open the hood, make sure you know, you're topped off on brake fluid. No. We, 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 don't, we don't look all those things over. We trust that they're going to work. We place our faith in that. We have conviction in what's unseen. Did anybody, when you sat down, you know, kind of, before you sat down, you tipped the chair over, you know, checked the bolts, made sure that no one, you know, pulled the trick and pulled the bolts out of your chair, or made sure no one was sitting behind you, going to pull it out for me when you sat down? No. There's so much that's unseen about what's holding that together and a chair's ability to hold us up that you're convicted of it. Just sat right down. You placed your faith in it. We live our lives by faith. If, if there's someone in here who's an atheist, you're saying, I don't believe God exists. First of all, I'm, I'm glad you're here. This, this is a safe place to come and to talk about God, to talk about life. And we want to help you take the next step on your journey, as we all want to take the next step on our journey. And so I'm glad you're here. But if you or somebody you know is an atheist, honestly, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. To be a Christian, we're placing our faith in one true God who sent his son to die on the cross. For, for, it just gives forgiveness when we place our faith in him. That faith is a gift from him. To be atheist. You're saying that all that you see here was this cosmic accident that happened. And this cosmic accident led to uh, um, the, this accident of life that, you know, was able to crawl out of the, the primordial ooze of, of how this world came about. And you kind of play that out all the way to where you get where we are today. It, it takes more faith to believe that what you see around you, this, this creation, doesn't have a creator. It takes more faith to believe that this design around us doesn't have a designer. We all live by some kind of faith. If there's any scientists in here, say, oh, no, I, I live by fact. You know, psh, psh, psh. I can figure it out. I can test it. That's what I live by. Honestly, all that you test, all those facts, rely on your observations. Rely on the five senses you have which honestly, even those, 
How do you know that what you're feeling is what you're really feeling? But you're putting faith in your brain that's calculating what you're, you know, the, the senses that your nerves are feeling. It's going up through, you know, your arm all the way up to your brain saying, hey, this feels hot. This feels cold. You're placing your faith in those. How do you know your brain even exists? Well, you've reasoned that it does. Okay, well, you're placing your faith in this thing that can actually reason correctly. We all place faith in something. Well, tangent, it's interesting that the brain technically named itself, if you think about it. Uh, that has nothing to do with anything. We'll pull that one back in. All right. Another little side note on, on science. Faith in God and science are not opposites. They're not opposites. God created science. He created the way this world works. So that as we explore science, as we explore this world, we can get a glimpse of who God is and see a little more who he is. So anyway, all I have to say, we all live by faith. If everything requires faith, we should really look at who or what we're putting our trust in. Let's put our trust, let's put our faith in what is true. Let's put our, our faith in what is trustworthy. And so if it's either man or God, what kind of person do you want to be? The kind of person who's put his faith in God or the kind of person who's put his faith in man? Take a, a brief self-assessment of where you are on, on that spectrum. Have you given God full control or, or do you try to take it back? Or do you say, God, I don't think you're even there. I, I'm, I make my own decisions. You know, I control my own future. Well, let's look at those two a little bit. Let's look at who is man. And let's look at who is God. Well, first of all, man is limited. We are limited, limited, limited. We, we, we love ourselves. We, we like to think that we can figure anything out. You ever seen some of these graphs that show, you know, here's all the different things we're discovering, and, and it's, if this continues, man, we'll, we'll have discovered everything by the year 2020. It's like, well, no, it doesn't work that way, because quite honestly, the more we figure out, the more we find out there's still the know. Man is limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our knowledge. Let me give you some examples of this. The internet. Great advances. All kinds of great things as far as how communication is, is passed around, uh, just the information da- uh, 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 highway. The internet has done great things. Think about how many times you go on the internet in a week or how many times you rely on something that you receive through the internet. Great things we've been able, been able to figure out how to put this together. It's also caused more problems. There is a direct correlation between the increase of pornography and the increase of sexual abuse and discrimination in our culture. As one increases, so does the other. And the internet has allowed what used to be difficult to obtain, except for some shady, deep, dark places of our world, has put it so readily accessible that our children can stumble across it. They can stumble across it. It'd be like saying, okay, um, I need some dynamite. Well, that's kind of hard to come by. To fast forward 10 years, I need some dynamite. I think, I think on the side of the sofa chair there's some. I don't know. Just go look for some. I mean, it's so readily available. And so by solving one problem, how do we communicate? How do we get information out there? We've created a much larger one. Antibiotics. Awesome stuff. God, God has, has done great things letting us learn about his creation. But it's the whole truth about, you know, as we use antibiotics more and more and more, you get these superbugs, right, that, that are resistant to them. Well, what's the solution to that? More antibiotics or stronger antibiotics. And now, well, what's going to happen? 
stronger superbugs. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As we figure one thing out, we've kind of created more problems. As we find where the leak in the plumbing is, we got two more that weren't that bad that now we fix this. Well, we discover these because now, now they're spraying us with water. Nuclear power. It's a great thing. All kinds of great advances. Nuclear power has also led to some most horrific times in human history with the nuclear bomb and, and things like Chernobyl. Computer-generated graphics have led us to, to blockbusters like Iron Man and the Avengers. Awesome. Good stuff. It's also led us to Sharknado. If you don't know what Sharknado is, it's exactly like it sounds. A movie that was made about a tornado full of sharks that attack people. Go Google it. I'm, it, I'm not lying. True story. The more we learn... The more problems we make, the more we learn, the more we see there's more to learn. Man is limited in our knowledge. We're still figuring things out. Man's limited in perspective. The scope of what we can see. Our lives are so short. If you were to take eternity and put it on a timeline, we're just a little, little speck. However small, you go, well, small, go long. I'll go from wall to wall. We're just a little speck on the timeline of eternity. Think about this. If I showed you a picture of your great-great-grandfather, would you recognize it? Might get a few yeses in here. Let's add one more great. Maybe 200 years back, a few generations back. Would you even recognize a picture of your own family, your own flesh and blood? Most of us wouldn't. Because our lives are so brief, are so momentary. We're limited in perspective. We can only see such a small piece of the puzzle, such a small piece of this world. You know, last week I shared uh, a little bit of our story. My wife and I, where we were trying to have kids, we discovered there's this tumor in my wife's pituitary. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those moments that, that shook our, our, our faith. It shook our trust in God. Just like Habakkuk's going through this, where his trust is being shaken. But he leaned into God, and, and God's saying, you know what, I got a plan. I'm working. Trust me. And we heard God saying that to us as well. We trusted in him, and he showed himself so powerful. But it was still hard. There were some hard days. And I don't have the perspective to say, okay, here's how all that played out. God's given me some glimpses of it. So here we are in the hospital, uh, maybe about, about to give birth to, to uh, our youngest daughter, our oldest daughter, firstborn. There we go. And um, we're getting to share this, this moment. You know, after she's born, we invite some specific friends to the hospital to come and, and to hold her. And these are friends who actually, about two months prior to this, had just realized that they had the same thing Sarah did. His wife had the same tumor in her brain that Sarah did. They were unable to have kids because of this. And we were able to say, hey, we've been through that. We know what it's like. There's hope. In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this, this trust-shaking moment, God used that for good. God used that for awesome things. I don't have the perspective to see that because my perspective, my scope is so limited. And there's so many other things that God's going to do and has done and is doing that we just don't have the perspective to see. So man is limited. You can imagine where I'm going with this next point. Because since we're unable to fix the real problems of man, I think we need to look to a God who is unlimited. God is unlimited. God is unlimited in his knowledge. He knows what's going to happen. We see that right in Habakkuk. Hey, the Babylonians are coming. Guess what happened? Babylonians came. 
and they exiled uh, what was left of Judah. We see in Genesis chapter 15, God is speaking to Abraham, and he's sharing some of this, this covenant, this promise he's making with Abraham. And get this. He says, your people who will become this nation will be sojourners, will be visitors in a land not their own. They will be enslaved for 400 years, uh, servants to another nation. And then they will be brought out with riches that aren't their own. We fast forward 500 years, what's happened? 100 years of, of, of the nation growing and, and um, 400 years of slavery, and now they're being led out of Egypt with all the, being given the riches of Egypt. God predicted it. God said, this is what's, it's not even a, a prediction, like I think this is what's gonna happen. God said, this will happen. Because God is all-knowing. God is unlimited in perspective. His scope, his ability to see all things. He cannot be contained. He's outside time. We, we see this in a couple different places. I'll hit on these real quick. Uh, when Solomon built the temple, he acknowledges that, God, here's this place where, where your presence is going to dwell amongst your people, the, 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 the seat for you to sit upon and, and lead your people. But no building can contain you. Nothing can, can, can contain you, Solomon talks about. In Psalm 139, David talks about how there's there's no place he can go away from God. There's no place he can go to escape God. God sees all and knows all. God even established our concept of time and creation. God set that up. One, one easy way to kind of get your head around what that looks like is that if our, if our lives were a movie, a film strip, you know, a clip by clip, picture by picture, where we see it, we live it one image at a time. God takes that, that film strip, rolls it out, he can see the whole thing all in one shot. God is unlimited in perspective. God is able to fix the problems of man. And he's good. He's able to fix the problems of man. If you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph had these 11 brothers, and he probably didn't uh, say some of the right things. He said, hey guys, I had these dreams, and in my dreams, basically you all bowed, bowed down to me. And um, add up the fact that he was dad's favorite. There's some other things going on. And they said, you know what, let's get rid of Joseph. And first they throw him down a well. They say, you know what? Hey, let's not kill our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery, and his first stop is uh, working for this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife is like, hey, that Joseph is a fine specimen. And she basically throws herself on him. And he's like, no, I have nothing to do with this. And he runs. And she basically says, hey, uh, Potiphar, uh, your guy Joseph came on to me and, and tried to have his way when she was the aggressor. And he gets thrown in prison. And through another uh, exchange of events where he has this relationship with, with, with someone who's in prison who then uh, gets out and then remembers him, uh, there's a point where the Pharaoh has this dream and he doesn't know uh, what it means. And he says, does anyone know what this dream means? Can anyone interpret it? And it finally gets back to where he, he finds out about this guy Joseph who can interpret dreams. And Joseph comes and interprets the dream and it leads to the point where, where basically he is Pharaoh's right-hand guy. And he says, you know what? God's, God's saying that a drought is coming and, and there's going to be prosperity and then there's going to be seven years of famine. we got to store up some food. And he, they store up food. And then the famine hits. All these people begin to come to Egypt because they got all the food. They were prepared for it. Some of those people that come to Egypt are Joseph's brothers. And, and they come before him and, and he, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them right off the bat. And basically brings to this point where now they're, they're confronted with this brother and he reveals who he is. And they're like, bro, we're sorry, don't kill us. And Joseph's response is so beautiful. 
He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because of how things played out, God has brought about life. The number of people, the nations that were fed because God used Joseph in Egypt to store up all that food. God is all-knowing. God is unlimited in his perspective. God is good. God did that to preserve life. We can trust this God. So here's a question. So if we're going to say, here's the throne of my life. God, I want you to have it. Sit on it. I place my faith in you. How do we do that? What's that look like? You know, this, this message is kind of a simple, straightforward one. And a part of that is, is really where, where the, the, the work of this message comes in is once I'm done and we all go home. And we have to live out every day having this, this throne in our lives and trying to say, God, I want to keep you on that throne. That's where the, the, the challenge of this message is, is going to come in. How do we live by faith? Let me give you a few things here real quick. We live by faith by receiving it. That's the first step, is, is to receive it. Many of you here have already done that. You've already said, I, I receive faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace, that the unmerited favor, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one, no one may boast. It's a gift of God. God gifts us faith. And in that faith, we're saved because that faith is in Jesus. So the first step is to receive it. What's that look like? It's an acknowledgement to say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord and Savior, that you are who you said you are, and I trust in you. I place my faith in you. I I surrender the throne of my life to you. It's no longer Steve's way or the highway. It's God, what do you have for this? Which way are you going? Help me to see that. And I, I, I'm, I'm, all right, you set the course, God, I'm going with you. Receive that faith. It's a free gift from God. Open up your, your heart and your mind to God, give me your faith. Give me faith to believe that Jesus saved me from my, my, my sins. So first thing, and how do you live by faith is to receive it. Next is to act on it. We see this in, in Hebrews 11. Remember that, that hall of fame or hall of faith where all these biblical characters, they, they, they did things because they believed God. They put their faith in God so they, they did amazing things. Noah built a massive boat in the desert. And if you look at the text real carefully, it leads you to believe that they've never even seen rain let alone been in the desert. What are you doing? Building the boat. You know you're in the desert. Yep. You know there's no water around. Yep, God's taking care of that. He acted on his faith in God. He acted on what God said. You said in, in Habakkuk, uh, uh, the, what we started off with, Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3. God said, if you believe this is really what's going to happen, then go and, and put it on tablets and, and get the word out and act upon that belief. It wasn't a, okay, you know what, I'm holding back the Babylonians. It's like, no, they're coming, so act on that. Call for people to prepare their hearts to return to me. Faith is one of those things that it requires action. 
you know, if, if I had a, a grenade right here and I set it on the stool and, and every part of you believed that was a real live grenade and I pulled the pin, set it down, and walked away. We, have, we, we may all do something different, but I guarantee you, as long as we believe that's what it is, we would all act. Either you'd run, either you'd throw yourself on it, or you'd try to get it out of the room. I don't know. But we would all act because of what we believe to be true, because of our faith. So faith requires action. How do you live by faith? You act upon it. You say, okay, well, then what do I do? I want to act on my faith. I want to receive, all right, uh, 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 faith and say that I trust in you, God. I surrender that seat of control, and I'm ready to act on it. I'm all set. What do I do? How do I live by faith? We grow it. You grow it through practice. At Romans 10, we see that faith comes uh, from hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we can apply this to every aspect of our daily life. To dig into the word of God. To hear the word of God. And then to go and do it. To hear what the word of God says about how we live our relationships. And then to go and do it. To hear what the word of God has to say about how we spend our money. And then to go and do it. To hear what the word of God says about the way we treat our bodies. The things we eat. uh, Our our diet. And then to go and do it. To hear what the word of God says about our thought life. About our professional life. what, What it says about the way we talk to others. The way we drive on the road. Dig into God's word. And see what it has to say in all aspects of life. And let's go do it. Let's go do it together. So that in our times of doubt, in our times when we're in the same place where Habakkuk is, where he's going through a a trial in his faith, his faith is being shaken to the core. When we go through those times, we don't push God aside and take back control and say, all right, I'm figuring this out. But we say, God, I know you're trustworthy. I know you're true. I'm going to lean into you. I don't understand this. But I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to act upon that. Some people that say, well, I've got faith. You know, I I don't really use that. I kind of do my own thing. But I know I believe. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. To have faith that you don't act on is like having food that you don't eat. Say, I got a garden. Great. Would you eat food out of it? Well, No. I have it. I have food. I got a fridge full of food. Well, do you eat any of it? No. You look a little malnourished. Oh, I am. I'm starving. I'm dying. (laughs) We got food. Oh, I know. I know. But, you know, I got my own path. I'll figure out how to nourish myself. I I think about it a lot, you know, and and that self-motivational stuff. You know, self-motivation books are actually one of the largest in, you know, self-help type books are one of the largest in in, in bookstores. Um, Because we're all about that. The self-help is putting, how do I put myself on the throne? We've got to use our faith in God and say, you know what? Let's put it into action. We see a glimpse of this, a beautiful glimpse of this in Mark 9. Uh, basically, Jesus is up on, on a mountainside with um, three of the disciples, and they come down, and uh, basically there's this commotion going on. This guy had come to the other disciples, and he said, my, my, my son is possessed. Um, help me. And, and when Jesus comes to the scene, what's going on is they're like, hey, your disciples weren't able to cast out these demons. What's, what's going on? Jesus is like, he gets this point here in Mark 9 where he says, all things are possible for one who believes. 
All things are possible for one who believes. Because the father was like, can you do this? Can, can you do anything, Jesus? Because your disciples can't. Jesus said, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's where a lot of us live. And that's okay as long as we're going to Jesus and saying, help me in my unbelief. There's things I know you're still working in me. Help me in that. Help me to go and do. Let's look to Jesus in our unbelief. So how do I live by faith? Well, first of all, in a generic term, we can say you're already doing it. We're we're, we're all living by faith. We say, how do I live by faith in God? Faith in what's able to save. We've got to give the stool over to Jesus and say, that's yours. I'm not taking it back. Let's pray. Father God, you are a majestic God. You are a great God. You are trustworthy You are unlimited. There's nothing you don't know. There's nothing you can't see. And you've done an amazing work here of of showing us grace and allowing us to place our faith in Jesus. You've given us this gift of faith. Because when we take this seat, we mess it up. But you as the author of life, as God, as creator. You, Lord Jesus, you know how we're meant to live this life. And it gets so scary at times because there's things that rattle our cages. There's things in our limited understanding, in our limiting, limited perspective, and the limited knowledge we know, Father, that just shake us to our core. Help us to surrender full control to you to place our faith in you in the same way we first started driving and maybe we're a little hesitant with the brake pedal but now we trust it fully Father God be patient with us and work in us help us to take steps of faith towards you help us to trust you with whatever that is you're putting on our heart right now for some of us it might be to trust you with our lives for the first time for those those of you who are here, just repeat it. Just, just along with me, just, just say to God, God, I believe you are God. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins, the mistakes I've made. Because I believe those sins separated me from you. I believe in Jesus that those sins are forgiven. So I place my faith in you, Lord Jesus, as the author and perfecter of faith as my Lord and Savior. And some of us, Father, we've placed our faith in you, but it's a daily battle to want to take it back. I pray you would strengthen us, that we would fall in love again with your word, and that we would run to it, we would see how do we live in this world. And then when we see that we would do that we would take action because of our faith in you, Father God. Habakkuk's action was to wait on you. It was to go and tell others to make your word known. Father, first, help us to, to whatever you're laying on our hearts, whatever you're telling us to go and do because of our faith in you, help us to do that. 
but corporately here as, as, as your body, as your bride. Help us to go and, and tell this good news of the hope found in Jesus. Just as Habakkuk was told to go and tell of the hope found in you, no matter what may come in this world. Thank you, Father, for the promise of salvation. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen.